Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Everybody, welcome back. This session is called Navigating Layoffs. It is a fireside chat with Tina Mary. I wanted to give a shout out to Tripwire Presents, our generous sponsor for the IG, IGB business sessions. And um, wanted to tell you that today we're going to do a fireside chat with Tina Mary talking about having how to navigate layoffs from three different perspectives. Um, either that you're the person who has to do the layoffs you have been laid off or you are trying to support someone who's been laid off. So I uh, want to have Tina take a minute to introduce herself and then we will get right to it. Thanks so much, Heather. Um, hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. And, and thank you so much for the organizers and Tripwire for hosting. Um, I've been working in the games industry. I worked in the games industry for over 15 years on the dev side. I worked with electronic arts. I worked with um, King Activision. I worked on some key franchises. And I spent a lot of time working with global cultures. I spent time as an expat living in Romania, Sweden, the United Kingdom. I'm in Canada today. And the work I do today is to bring cultural inclusion to the games industry. So I'm a cultural consultant, trainer, and facilitator specializing in that space. Thanks again so much for inviting me today, Heather. Well, thank you very much. And um, some of you may know me. I am Heather Chandler. I'm the program director for Indie Game Business. And then I also do production consulting and whatnot if you have teams that are trying to get games launched. So let's just dive right in. The first um, perspective we're going to talk about is the person and or studio that may find themselves in a position of having to do layoffs. So we'll start with, you know, if you're Let's start with sort of individuals. I'm a producer on a team and I need to do layoffs. What, do, what are some ways that I, how can I handle this? Yeah, that's a lot to unpack in that question, right? We talked a little bit about that. Um, I think there's some key considerations we want to definitely reflect on where possible. The first and foremost is remember, it's probably going to be a shock to the person getting that in from news, right? So they're good. you should be prepared for an emotional response. As a result of that, and for other reasons, I encourage you to have somebody else in the room when you're delivering the news, if it's going to be done in person or virtually, ideally in person, um, but have a, a professional, it's often HR, in the room with you for the conversation. Um, you might start pleasant, but don't beat around the bush. Don't be um, obtuse about this, right? You need to get pretty quick, quickly to the point. I'm very sorry, but we're going to have to lay you off. Do you... Know? you if you call someone down to have a chat, do you keep it just very neutral? Like, hey, I've set up a meeting. I've sort of seen, you know, two schools of thoughts because I've been on both sides of the coin um, about that, where all of a sudden you're getting called down to HR and everyone's like, oh, you're in trouble. You're probably getting fired or laid off. So how do you even kind of broach that initial, we need to talk to you about something? Yeah. It, my own experience with this has been that it's you know, the manager sets up a one-on-one -one that's either already reg regularly scheduled and you kind of know what's going on when you walk in the room because HR is sitting there. So that's a pretty typical scenario. And I think, um, I don't know if I would want to put somebody through the stress of knowing for sure that was the meeting they're about to go to. Um, I don't know. It, it's a great question. I think it might depend on the relationship I have with the individual I'm laying off mm -hmm. and my own personal preferences. For me personally, I'd probably not divulge it ahead of time. I'd probably, and I'd probably try and create a more neutral place than HR. 
like my office or yeah. somewhere else, a meeting room. How do you deal with situations, though, where there's already rumors circulating amongst the company as well? Um, I remember a place I worked at a long time ago where there were layoff rumors. And back then we used an instant messaging program. I won't say the name of it um, because that would date me. Um, But one by one, people started disappearing from instant messenger. And I was just kind of waiting to be called to a meeting with my boss. Um, So they hadn't explicitly said anything like here's what's happening, but there had been rumors beforehand. So as, you know, somebody who might be involved in breaking the news to people, do you address the rumors beforehand? Do you just kind of let them lie? Yeah, again, I wish there was one clear and specific answer and an easy answer for you, Heather, but I think it's going to be one of those, it depends on the situation. Um, A smaller studio, um, probably having a conversation with the studio as a whole might not be a bad idea. But then again, you've got this stress of wondering, am I one of the people? Right. Um, So I don't know that there's any good answer. I mean, it's a bad piece of information to get no matter what. I think addressing the rumors though, that comment about addressing the rumors is pretty important, right? We want to um, probably as quickly as possible, try and deal with that. So ideally as an example, if a lot of people are being laid off, don't do them all as a group, do them individually, but do them all on the same day. Make right. sure it's all, the event all happens within the same day so that by the end of the day, you can send up messaging or have a team meeting with the remaining team to explain what's happened right. and to reassure them that that's it, that's it, the event's over, you know, we regret that this happened, you are not at risk. Yeah, that was my next question is when do you have the meeting with the people that aren't getting laid off, do you do it beforehand so that they're not stressed or do you just do it after, after everything has kind of happened and they've spent all day worrying? That's a scary one, right? I mean, again, I don't know that I've seen it done both ways. I I was at a company where they pulled everybody into the room. um, And then the people that weren't pulled into that, didn't get called into that room. You kind of knew you were on the list. Right. 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 Um, so there's a variety of different ways that might happen. Some of them feel a lot less comfortable than others. Again, going back to my preference of how I would want to be treated, um, and how I think feels most fair is I just want to have quickly as possible, those individual conversations done maybe in the morning of a Thursday so that by Thursday or the afternoon, I can be with the rest of the team and say, Hey, we had an event this morning. I'm sure you've all heard about it. This is what's going on. And if you are a producer and you actually say you're not getting laid off, but you have to have that talk with somebody, there's actually, there's two questions. The first one is just, what should you say in that meeting? Um, Will HR give you a script? Like, what are you allowed to talk about? What are you not allowed to say? Um, I know that HR will probably be there because you'll want to have people signing papers and things like that. But, you know, what is the, I think, a compassionate way to do this? Yeah, um, I think that for me, it's really, I, I, you know, if I can, you're talking about the perspective of the person being laid off again, or the survivors here. I'm talking about you're a producer or um, a manager that has to lay off your employee. What do you say to that employee when they come in? Do you just start out of the yeah. gate? Hey, you're being laid off. Yeah. Here's the yeah. situation. Um, they're going to have questions like, how do you navigate that conversation? Yeah. I, you know, I think that layoffs different than a performance termination, right? Yeah. You don't really want to lay somebody off usually. Now you might use that as an excuse to remove somebody who's performing lower, but generally that's not what's going on. So I think being a little bit accountable to saying, Hey, I'm one of the leaders in this organization. And I might've actually created a situation where we hired too many people or we got too big and ambitious on the scope, or we were too ambitious on the revenue projections. And any one of these number of things can impact our ability to retain all the staff for the long term in the project. So I think that, you know, I would avoid avoid focusing blame on executive leaders or people who, you know, that you can't say what they had to say or didn't have to say or what their influence was. And you just shouldn't. You're you if you're working for a mid-size or large organization, yes, you do need to represent the company line to a certain extent. But that doesn't hinder you from being personally representing accountability and, and saying, I, I, I do, I genuinely have empathy. I feel really bad. I think I could have done a better job planning and I regret that we're at this place. How can I help you? Or these are the things I'm going to do to help you. 
So focusing on what you're going to do next is probably the biggest gift you can do to them. Help them see the opportunities in the future when they're ready to have that conversation. Let them know you're going to be giving them references, you're going to be giving them support, and you're going to help them find that next gig. Great. Um, If you are a leader, do you have a say in who gets laid off? Um, How does that all work? Yeah. Um, Sometimes you have some say. You might have some influence. You might be asked to consider who on your team might be somebody and why. And so if they're looking at all the different dimensions of who we need to lay off and why, it could be relating to, for example, um, if we know we need to cut a certain amount of dollars, we have to decide, should we cut three juniors or one senior? That could be a very similar cost savings, right? Um, So typically, in my experience in a larger organization like Electronic Arts, you only have a certain amount of influence, maybe at the most 50% of the influence of deciding who gets laid off. And you rarely have influence that a layoff is going to occur in the first place. Right. Right. You're just asked to participate in the event and asked to make suggestions on who might be appropriate on your team and why. How much should you consider performance, though? We alluded, you alluded to that earlier, that sometimes layoffs are used also as a way to, um, you know, deal with performance issues. Yeah. Um, how does that factor into who determining who gets laid off? And I liked your example, too, of like the three juniors versus one senior. Are there some best practices or advice on when you're trying to assess and give feedback to management on what, who you might suggest from the team? that that follow that yeah it's a great question personally i would as as somebody who focuses on execution i was on the production the development director side i was concerned about critical path can we build the game that we imagined at the quality level and in the time we promised right so i need to start with critical path but then for sure i'm going to start looking at things like performance and professional development considerations right um, it's, it's, it, it, if there is somebody, and the other thing is succession planning. If I think about my own professional development and the development of the team, who has the most potential to grow and continue to contribute to the organization? Are there individuals on the team who might have kind of capped out a little bit? Doesn't mean mm-hmm. they're not great contributors, but maybe they're not in the right place in the long run for them to continue to grow their careers, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then again, the, the whole conversation, yes, as you mentioned about the you know, if we're, if we're looking at just dollars, we need to save dollars on the runway to be able to get this project shipped on time, then we're going to look at it, all, all of those layers of factors. How many people, is it, should it be a few seniors, one junior? Should it right. be the lowest performer on the team? Well, maybe, maybe not, right? Yeah. Um, I, in general, my best practice is try to use, avoid using layoffs as a, as a performance management tool. It's kind of, to me, it's a little bit disingenuous. It's not yeah. being very honest. I mean, when people need to have performance reviews, they should be getting that feedback re- regularly throughout the cycle instead of it being sprung on them as part of a surprise. Exactly. Um, let's talk a little bit about just smaller indie studios. So let's assume we don't have sort of like cedar management at a larger company, but like it's your studio and you have a group of sort of 10 to 15 people, you know. How do you decide if you need to lay people off? Let's say you are working on a game and maybe you think your funding might be drying up for a variety of reasons. Like, how do you forecast, oh, at this point, I might need to lay people off? How do you decide? Yeah, yeah. Um, If it's a smaller studio and I'm starting to get worried about these things, I'm getting probably pretty tempted to talk to the team about it or at least some key team members if not the entire team and share what's going on, right? Um, I think transparency around critical path and challenging my own mind, my own thought processes around where we are in terms of the organization, the studio, the game, and so on. I need somebody else to bounce that off of to make sure I'm not making any erroneous assumptions. Um, So I think strategizing with ideally the whole team or at least some team members to say, this is a risk, what can we do to mitigate that risk? Are there things we can do? And if right. we can't completely mitigate the risk, what's the contingency plan? What will we do when and why? Right. right? Will we do a layoff? Will we take a pay cut? Will, will we occur? pause exactly. people and then bring them back, you know, or exactly. stuff like that? Okay. Yeah. And if it happens, you know, if you do end up having to, that that's eventually happens, especially if you involve the whole team. I think they might appreciate the transparency you gave them, the honesty that you gave them. Now, of course, there's a risk, right? You're going to mm-hmm. lose some good talent that are saying, oh, I see the writing on the wall. I'm out of here. 
Right. Um, so there is there is a there is a bit of a double edged sword for that decision to do that. But I think that I would like to think the optimist in me that if you were upfront and transparent with the team and you had some percentage that decided this was too risky for them and they left, that you would hopefully have a contingency plan. Let's say things turned out well and you didn't end up having to do layoffs and you got the funding or, or whatever was needed to keep going. Um, that The team has built trust with you in that instance. And so they know that you are there to really take care of them and make sure that they make it through and that this game gets done. And I don't think there should be any hard feelings for the folks that decide yeah, I actually, I mean, this is too risky for me. And if they go off and do something else, that's fine. I think it sh- ideally people should be able to leave on good terms in, in instances like that. Exactly. You know, and you would presume, presume under those circumstances that you might be leaving a decent ground behind. They gave me transparency. It wasn't, you know, I, I need more security for my personal life. I'm the breadwinner. I'm this or that. But, you know, hey, they're a great team. And I trust right. them because they Absolutely. trusted me. Yeah, because I think I've heard just heard a lot of horror stories about smaller studios where there wasn't that transparency, and then all of a sudden, for no, they the team saw it as from out of nowhere, studio shut down. I came to work. There were, I mean, this has happened not to me personally, but there were the doors were locked with a chain and a padlock. My key cards were deactivated. There's no communication. There was nothing, and so of course you feel very bitter about that whole thing. So, um. So speaking of this, how what are some ways that indie studios can set their studios up to reduce the chances of needing to lay people off? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think ultimately that would sort of be a great first step is like, yeah. how do we avoid this in the first place? Exactly. Mitigation is key. Um, the, the biggest one is a strong pre-production phase. And I know that's not a big, uh, a, a big favorite for people who are very creative and want to be very agile in their game dev approach. Um, but if you're accountable for a studio and a PL and a bottom line and salary, then you owe it to that team to have a strong pre-production and have a clear vision of what you're trying to build. Um, that will be one of the first ways to protect um, your team against staffing and project technical risks as well. Um, next would be really crystal clear within that pre-production phase. What matters most? If we have to cut a feature or, or if we are running a little bit tight or if we need to iterate more in one area versus another, what will we do? Again, have we got some, some, some leeway and flex in our plans to allow for adversity to occur? Because it will. We all know. In game dev, that's the unexpected happens. And the third tip I would offer is consider exter- um, leveraging external partnerships. I mean, this is really one of the best ways that you can mitigate um, the risks of staffing too high because you can scale as you need to and descale as you know, right? Um, You can leverage very, very specialized skill sets that you don't necessarily need to hire full time on your project. You can leverage global talent. The people that are working in this space know what they're doing. They're working all over the space with AAA, with the indie companies. They understand how to make this work. If you don't know, find a partner who's done it before. They'll help you figure it out. Um, give any questions, I can help you with this as well. I'd be happy to provide a little bit of mentoring. Um, but examples might be things like volume art props and assets that are, you know you need to do at volume and scale. Um, it might be um, support for things like localization, audio, or quality assurance. Again, those are areas you might prefer to staff internally, but if you can't scale as effectively without the risk of layoffs, um, external partners are definitely a way forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, concept art's a, a good one as well to consider. Exactly. And I think sometimes, you know, you're like, eh, can I afford outsourcing? I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I think you can find partners that will work within your budget. And in some cases, paying a little bit of a premium for an expert who can do a thing probably much faster and at a higher quality, thus less iteration time. So they deliver more bang, you know, more, uh, more assets for that money um, is definitely a much better use of your dollars versus sometimes trying to hire in a full-time person for that position, even if they come in at a more junior level and perhaps from a salary standpoint aren't as expensive, but um, maybe can't work as quickly or there needs to be more iteration time in between. So we think that that's, you know, that's a whole other conversation about outsourcing is that you can go out there and find these folks um, that can help you with your project. Um, let's see here. So we discussed these kind of already, but just, you know, 
having being up, up front with your team, especially if it's small, about what it might look like if you needed to potentially do a layoff. I think part of that conversation is what you were mentioning, just being transparent with them as they're going on the journey with you when you're making this game and understanding that in pre-production, you're establishing these milestones. If you're working with a publisher and your funding is tied to your milestone payments, you should have a good understanding of sort of what your cash flow is going to be like over that year or two that you're making the game. And hopefully pre-production has allowed you to set up ways to spend it wisely and perhaps even have some contingency sort of set aside for emergency funds if you need to um, cover a gap in cash flow or something like that. Which actually reminds me, you know, I mean, again, going back to a second set of eyes, right? So consider having an independent, even a cursory audit, a review of your plans as you exiting pre-production. Get somebody to take a look and challenge you a little bit on your assumptions before you go too far down the path of making final decisions for your game and your staff. Um, Again, that can be a way to mitigate the risk of hiring too slow or too fast yeah because both are risks in this scenario for us if we're trying to build a great game right that's Maybe true we're going to miss critical path because we're so concerned about laying people off that we didn't hire them early enough to onboard them and get the feature done on time yeah it definitely is a balancing act i think when you're working on these much smaller scales all right well let's switch to the perspective of someone who's been laid off yeah um so let's talk about that uh you know, where do we want to start? I don't know. I mean, I know I myself has been through a layoff and it was not a great experience. Um, and it certainly felt very weird. I didn't feel that in the instance that there was a lot of transparency. It was one of those where there were a lot of rumors swirling and you really weren't sure what was supposed to happen the yeah. day that it happened. You know, everybody starts getting logged out of their machines and you can see the list of available people. Yeah. Finally, the manage my manager calls me in gives me the, you know, by then, I mean, everybody kind of already knew. And then they offered, you know, I think one of the nice things they did do is they offered some career assistance, um, you know, with like here, you know, let's help you with your resume. Let's get you some pointers on where you can go look for other things. Here's some internal job posting. So it doesn't feel good, but I think for me, when I reflect back on it, it certainly was a learning process you know? Um, And so I'm like, I definitely don't want to experience that again. And so I think also trying to figure out how you can get into scenarios where perhaps you won't be at risk. I don't know. It's, it's tough though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll share my story. I guess it's not a very fun one in some ways, but it's inspiring. I hope for others because I've been laid off three times in my career which feels like a lot. I mean, I, I, whether I felt prepared or not, it really, really hurt each time. The first time was absolutely the hardest. I had, um, I was well into my career. I was at an intermediate level in my career. I worked for a software development company. This was during the area the early 2000s when the dot-com bust was happening. And like you, I started seeing people leaving every quarter. People were leaving the company. No, I went through a personal event in my life where I was away on vacation and then I needed to take a bit of extra time. The company had been prepared to lay me off. I was the last project manager that worked for them in this software company. And they stalled until I came back, which was, I was grateful oh, for nice. them. But it also meant that the day I arrived back, I was walking into someone's office to get laid off, which was hard. Yeah. And again, breadwinner for a family of five, three, three young children and my husband. Um, But what really happened there, that company did similar to yours. They provided me with a list of tech companies that were hiring in in my city, which was Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And I got the job at EA. I got into, I never thought I would get into gaming. And I built a wonderful career at Electronic Arts. I spent 15 years learning and growing. Um, In 2017, I worked my way out of a job. I got a little more senior working abroad. I came back. There wasn't really a home for me anymore in Vancouver in the company. So I got laid off again. I started doing some consulting and that really accelerated the work I do today. And it's so highly rewarding. So these layoffs have all resulted in pivots that have brought more joy and more learning and more to me in my life. So as difficult as they were, they helped me learn and grow. Yeah, I I definitely can see that. And I think there's some instances where maybe I, I've been laid off the one time, but there's certainly been situations I've been in where I'm like, 
I'm thinking that something might come down the horizon. And so I would rather um, pivot now and find something different. And it does really challenge you to kind of push outside your comfort zone and go to different places that you may not have thought of before. Um, so speaking of that, once, you know, let's say okay, you've been laid off, like how much time should you spend looking for your next job? And, you know, you're trying to deal with the stress and anxiety already that you've been laid off. And so that really, I think, kind of has an impact on your ability to go out and feel good about like job interviewing. And how do you do that? And, you know, what if it takes a year? Like, what, how, how do you manage all of that? Yeah, yeah. One of my core values is balance, life balance. And I feel really strongly about putting the time and energy into the parts of our life that bring us energy and joy. Um, we've got obligations, but we need to balance them, right? So I don't think it's healthy to spend all day every day looking for new work, like eight hours a day. I think it would be very unhealthy and you become very stressed very quickly. It won't put you in a good headspace to your point for interviewing or anything like that, right? So I would treat yourself like a project plan. Build out a plan. Think about um, how you're going to approach your search. Are you going to start with the 20 companies you're most interested in? Are you going to maybe make a list of all the people who you can have lunch with and network with? Are you going to tackle your CV today and find somebody to review it for you? You know, make a list of what you're going to want to do and then tackle a little bit every day, maybe no more than two or three hours. My first layoff, I used to get up, have breakfast with the kids, go down into my office downstairs in the basement, spend three hours. At noon, I would come up and spend the rest of my day getting on with things, reading books, having lunch with a friend, going for hikes and living my life. Um, so that's my opinion of what it looks, what good looks like in this space. I think balance is important. Yeah, I would agree with that. Is that you can't spend your whole time trying to look for a job. It's it it depletes your energy already, and you're already in a very mentally stressful place. That kind of I've, I haven't asked about this because I know it's going to be different depending on if you're in Canada or the states or international. But when people get laid off, is there an expectation that they should get some sort of um, compensation? Um, for that, I forgot the term for it already, but you yeah, know, severance the, pay. The severance pay, yes. Yeah. yeah, it depends on the. Um, so, as an example, let, there is a legal requirement in British Columbia, Canada, to pay a certain amount of severance based on your tenure with the company. Um, but in typically, it, especially the more senior you get in an organization, you will typically get a severance pay or a number of weeks paid that's higher than the legal requirement. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's different in every state in the United States. And I think there is variations across Canada and globally as well. Um, my ex I believe that most larger organizations, um, your AAA studios, they're typically, especially if you're at an intermediate, modest severance package of a couple of weeks. And that might be yeah. that. Yeah, and I think also, at least in the United States, there's unemployment. You can apply for that as well, which can help cover yeah. the gap. I think that, Thank for you. me, is one of the most stressful parts about getting laid off is, yes, you would get a severance package, but that's not going to carry you except for maybe a couple of weeks or a month or two if you're lucky. And then how do you continue to look for work if you don't have other things helping to supplement that income? So here in the States, we have the unemployment stuff that, that people can apply for you know, um, but yeah, yeah that part's Canada, very stressful. Yeah, there's about 50% of the salary though only, so it's quite low. So one of the things that, you know, I think that when you're laid off, you get to thinking like, well, why was I one of the ones that got laid off, especially if it's a company where they only laid off a percentage of people and didn't necessarily shut the whole studio down. Um, so you start thinking, how could I have prevent? How could I have prevented being one of the people that was laid off? Why did I get laid off? Like, how do you work through sort of those feelings? Yeah. <laughs> Please avoid feeling this way. I can't emphasize that enough. It's really highly unlikely you did anything wrong that created a control over the situation that could have hindered it from happening. It's very unlikely. I mean, there's a possibility, but it's unlikely. I would assume the best assume it probably wasn't about you personally. Yeah. You know, and we talked about how there's all those different reasons why you might. And yes, perhaps it's possible that you were one of the lowest performers. You might need to do some self-reflection to say, were there things within my control I could have been more effective at? Was I advocating enough for myself? Did people know what I was achieving on the team? Um, you know, 
asking for feedback from others, especially after you've had a chance to get a little space from the event and they've had a bit of space to say, you know, if you have somebody, a good friend at work who's going to be honest and upfront and direct with you, maybe they can help share some insights. But honestly, the chances are very, very high. You had no control. Yeah. And try not to take it personally. And I already know the answer to this, but just as part of the conversation, is it a good idea to go around and telling everybody how bad the company sucks <laughs> and how poorly you were treated and how the whole thing is horrible and this was unjust? Like, how do you sort of, I think the the real question is, is how do you speak about the company at that time, either during your work thing, people will be asking you what your role was at the company. You know, they might try to delve into why there were layoffs and why you were there. What is the best way to sort of approach that? Yeah. Um, well, you know, yes, you're right. In general, we don't want to badmouth our, our company or our employers or our last manager because the people who we're interviewing and looking at forward to um, might assume we're going to do the same thing to them in the future. As soon as you're no longer with us, you're going to badmouth us. So, um, that having been said, there are times and places where you might want to share and confide in somebody that that company or that individual did not handle that layoff well. I did not have a positive experience. You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck, finding a publisher and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. experience in all of my layoffs i've had some quite negative ones where i felt treated like a criminal yeah um you know so it can happen and um it can be pretty tempting to flame that company or the people involved um again be careful about doing that because it could hurt you a lot more than them um, yeah try to, try to avoid true. an emotional response to what's going on but as i said that hadn't been said there might be times where it's appropriate to divulge that especially if somebody asks you hey what do you think about working for so and so i was thinking of going to apply there well yeah. you know i didn't have all positive experiences at least when i left or during these events and so on yeah i think that that that's fair it's not on a public forum it's somebody who came to you was asking yeah. feedback hey i know you have experience with this what are your thoughts yeah. um i still you know you don't necessarily have to get bring out the flamethrower but I think it is perfectly valid to say my experience was not the best you know for these reasons but you know all of that stuff um how can I use my network to help me find new opportunities after I've been laid off (laughs) um well that's a good reminder not to wait till you're laid off right don't don't I mean ideally we're not waiting to reach out to people and stay connected to those we care about our ex-colleagues and so on Um, just when we need something from them, right? But that having been said, I guess it does happen. Um, I think the biggest tip I would say is, because I get approached a lot by people for different reasons, and and what's not always clear is how I can help. So I think being really, really clear on how you would like your network to help you. Are you looking for um, a a review of your resume? I look at your LinkedIn profile. Are you looking for a specific introduction, an endorsement? a skill assessment and so on. So really trying to find ways um, to identify how different individuals in your network can help you. As an example, I talked about making the top 20 list of companies I wanna work with. Well, the next thing I wanna do is go open up those companies on LinkedIn and see who I know that works there. Right. That's a good way to kind of reach out and figure out maybe there's some hidden opportunities that aren't posted. 
how do you reach out to people? Like, let's use LinkedIn as the example. Let's, you know, I think all of us have, you know, some people in our network, they're like, wow, I haven't talked to that person in like 15 years. I just got laid off. They have a really good connection with somebody I want to get introduced to. How do I approach that? And it's not like, I mean, it's just, you know, time passes. That's why you hadn't spoken to them. Not that there was any bad blood or anything. So how? What's what are some tips for handling a scenario like that where you're like, I really want to reach out to this person. Are they going to think that this is dumb? Like, how yeah. does that help? Yeah. I think the first thing I would do is try and make sure I've done a little bit of research on what they're up to lately and reference that somehow in my first few sentences. Like, Hey, Tom, it's been a really long time since I've talked. I've been really inspired by the work you've been doing at ABC Company and the posts I've been seeing on LinkedIn are really cool. Um, I see that you've been doing X. I wanted to share an update. I know it's been a long time that we've been in touch, but so I, I might try and make it personal. If mm -hmm. I think there's any reason why they might not remember me, I might reference the last time we spoke or the last time we collaborated as well. Um, but I think trying to make it personal and pull on people's ego probably couldn't hurt a little bit <laughs> as, then, a, as an icebreaker. Yeah, I love, I mean, I'm like mentally writing down all the things you said. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great template. Um, how many times do you follow up with them? So you do one reach out. Yeah. Do you kind of, I mean, let's say like, I really want to make a connection with this person. Do yeah. you do, do you have a recommended thing? Only reach out two more times, one more time, or just do the one time. And then if they don't reply back. So some people aren't very active on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, so you, but you might be able to tell if you can have an email address by looking at their contact information. So you could potentially follow up with an email or if you know their email address. Um, I would be tempted to not follow up more than twice. <laughs> um, if I can see somebody's very, very active on LinkedIn and they've ignored my message, I might not even follow up once. Yeah. Right. If I can tell that they've clearly read my message, I can see they're really active and for whatever reason they've chosen to ignore. But even then, I might, it depends on how badly I want that intro or that connection right. to be remade. I might poke them one more time. Hey, I know you're probably busy. I just want to poke you again. I know it's been a long time since I spoke. I would really appreciate a chance to catch up with you for a few minutes and talk to you about what I'm working you know, whatever you need them. Yeah. And I've, I've actually had good luck on LinkedIn reaching out with people that I've had no connection with at all, but I was intrigued by their profile and I'm just very, again, it's that transparency and I think being very authentic. I mean, that's a word that people use a lot, but it really does help on LinkedIn. If you're like, Hey, I really love the game that you're working on. I would love to just ask you a few questions about what it was like to work on it. So I think that's one of the advice pieces of advice I've heard is even when you're in job search mode, don't always approach somebody like, hey, I just got laid off. Can you introduce me to this person because I'm looking for a job? But especially if you're reaching out to um, somebody cold, it's got to be hey, I'm really interested in finding out more about what you do. I really like the game that you're exactly. doing and the work that you've done. Would you have a few, you know, would you have a few minutes of time to to chat with me about it? Um, and just be very upfront with them about that. I mean, I think people really do appreciate that. And it's a nice way to kind of make connections. And I'm always very surprised at some of the people that take me up on it. Exactly. There are people that I reach out to that I'm like, oh, this person's not even going to give me the time of day. Yeah. And then I'm like, wow, they replied almost immediately back. Yeah, Heather, yeah. I would love to chat for a few minutes. Yeah. And so you can't be too timid about it either. Okay. I mean, I think, you know, it, it can make a big difference. And then other people that you're like, oh, for sure, I'll definitely hear back from them you might not hear anything back, you know. Exactly. And I've had, you know, I get those reach outs a fair bit. And I, I virtually always will say yes. If it's somebody interested in an area that I'm interested in talking about, or I think I can help them with, why not? I'm a big firm believer in pay it forward and help each other. Yep. Right. So why not? I think yep. that's a great idea. Asking for an interview, interview, information interview when you don't know the individual is a great way to kind of get the ball rolling on a new relationship. How do you ask for, so this is a more sort of specific ask, the LinkedIn recommendations. Yeah, yeah. I want to get a LinkedIn recommendation from you um, because you were my peer or my manager. What is the most effective way to do that? Yeah. So first of all, remember there's two types of recommendations in LinkedIn. There's skill endorsements where they just have to tick you have these skills. And then there's an actual recommendation where they write some words, right? So there are two types of recommendations. So be aware of that. Um, 
in case you want them to do both as an example. Right. So to that point, make sure you know what matters most in the rec and the recommendation of a certain technical or soft skills you really want them to include. Reference those, mm -hmm. right? Um, be clear if the request relates to a specific job you're pursuing, especially if there's any kind of a pivot from the role they last knew you in. That's super important, right? Because you may need them to highlight how your skills lend themselves well to a new type of role. Um, do it as soon as possible. The longer you wait, the more likely your request is going to be ignored. Do follow up though, because they probably do want to help you and they might forget. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of colleague, ex-colleagues um, offer and they've, and they've, or, and, or suggest, Hey, can, should, should I, do you want me to write it? Or they've asked me, can you please, I've asked them for an endorsement. They say, yes, yeah, sure, Tina, can you please go ahead and write it for me? And then I'll, and then I'll take a look and they might change the words a little tiny bit, mm -hmm. but that way, you know, I'm trying to word it in a way that I want them to word it. Um, yeah. So some people might ask you to do that. Yeah. And I think that that, that can be very useful, especially since in theory, they've already known that you've been laid off. They want to be helpful. Exactly. When you are looking at your resume or even on LinkedIn, I know we've talked about LinkedIn a lot, but honestly, that's kind of become the modern resume, right? Exactly. Um, do you indicate in your profile and your job description that you left because it was a layoff? How do you handle that? Yeah, I wouldn't put it in the, um, so there's two, there's two different areas where I don't think I would recommend putting it on LinkedIn. One is I probably wouldn't put the word layoff in the actual job history. So I might just show it's, you know, the job ended at March, 2023. So if somebody yeah. is going to ask me in an interview or in a pre-screening call, you know, why did you leave? Uh, that conversation is going to happen. Let it happen the way you want to describe it. Don't let them assume based on the words laid off. Got it. Um, it's also generally not recommended to put in your headline open to new opportunities or looking for work. I, I, again, there's a, some mixed feelings about that but i think the general idea is it looks maybe a tiny bit desperate i don't know if that's really true but you might want to use the 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 circle that shows you know i'm hiring or i'm open to work right um to make it because apparently that will show you up more um when people are looking for candidates you will service up more quickly um if you feel strongly that you need to describe your situation your where you're at with your search one other thing you can do is consider doing a post, either a text post or a video post that really talks about your situation um, and, and seeks the support of your network for tips and opportunities, mm -hmm. right? So it's just a way to be really authentic and say, hey, I need your help, folks. And I yeah. saw that a lot of people do that recently at very, very senior levels. Yes. So there's nothing stopping us from doing this, no matter what level we are in the industry or how much experience we have. It could be a good way to go. The job yeah. search function is super robust. So, you know, use that to kind of data mine what's going on in there for jobs. Um, and uh, make sure that when, when you're updating your profile, that you go and do have somebody else take another look at it, right? It, it's right. critical to have it proofread by another set of eyes from your own. And then do you have any additional tips for how, let's say you don't have a large network. Mm -hmm. What are some ways you can start networking and building up that support system um, for when you need it. Yeah. Attend events like this, right. And maybe connect with people as a result of that. Um, make a point of, of being proactive about staying in touch with old teammates and bosses and colleagues, right. Check in with them, see how they're doing, no matter what, um, you know, maybe arrange a coffee date, a virtual date, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Avoid connecting to somebody you don't know without a reason on LinkedIn. I mean, you mentioned it, Heather, right? You, you said you'll reach out to somebody you don't know, but you did it for a very specific reason and a specific ask. So don't just send blind invites to people yeah. to grow your network. If you're really going to send an invite to somebody who doesn't know you, please make sure you add a note. And it doesn't matter if you're on your mobile phone or your PC, there's no excuse. You can add a note. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is volunteer, maybe to support an industry event, to deliver a talk. There's all kinds of events like this, smaller events or larger events like GDC, where there's celebrating a diversity of voices. And that can be a wonderful way to get your voice elevated and get your network grown. Yeah, those are all great advice. All right, now we're going to move to the third perspective. I want to support someone who's been laid off. So number one, how can I be a good ally and support person? Um, I need to chance to vent without judgment. Um, 
We want to, we talk about endorsements and recommendations. Don't wait till you're asked. If you want to help a colleague who's been laid off, get on it right away. Send them that endorsement, ask them if it meets their needs. Be proactive about it. It's a huge yeah. gift to them, right? Huge gift. Um, don't give them advice. I mean, there's some don'ts all right. It's not the time for yeah. advice or tips or, or so on. But ask them how you can help. Right. But, you know, it's not time to uh, to be looking for, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And that unless asked, unless somebody says, hey, do you have some suggestions or ideas um, yeah. that I yeah. haven't tried yet? Yeah, I, I agree. I think sometimes when people are in that position, they just want to talk and be heard yeah. and listened to. They already yeah. know the things they should be doing and trying. And perhaps yeah. they've been spending all day doing those things. So they don't need you to remind them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's so, and, and the other thing is resist the temptation to share your own story. Because that's, I, I know exactly how you feel. That exact thing happened to me. Yeah. That doesn't help somebody, right? You're not really validating their feelings. You're validating your own. Yeah. And it's hard to do sometimes because when you hear their story and it is so much like yours and you're like, and I came out of it fine. You really want to provide that encouragement because you're like, but I'm providing support and encouragement. And I think yeah. there's a time and a place to do that, you know. Um, again, I think if they ask you, like, well, have you ever been in this situation? What happened when you were laid off? Like, then exactly. the invitation has been extended to make exactly. it about you for a few minutes. Exactly. Um, oh, this is a great one. I mean, we kind of already touched upon it about being proactive, but I know that sometimes you might feel hesitant about getting in touch with somebody uh, right away. And they're, you're kind of like, well, I'm just going to wait until that person reaches out to me. There is sort of, I think, this sense of hesitancy for whatever reason, like, um, you know, if people get laid off, like, oh, they probably want to just go and be by themselves for a while. So I'm not going to reach out to them. How do you, you know, what is the best way to kind of um, do that initial reach out? Yeah, do it. First of all, <laughs> the most important yeah. thing is don't, don't wait, reach out, tell them you love them, tell them you miss them, tell them you're sad to see them go, whatever messaging you need to do, um, get in touch with them and then get in touch with them again, check in regularly, right? Uh, it could, you're at your point, it could take them easily a couple of weeks or more to get on their feet and kind of have their head in a better space yeah. to be ready to explore what's next. Um, and some individuals are going to have a harder time reaching out for help. This is partly the way we're culturally wired. It's part of my work on cultural inclusion. We're not all hardwired to be proactive and comfortable going and asking people for help. You yeah. can help those individuals in your life who might be less comfortable doing that by proactively being there for them, right? Just being available is all you need to do, right? Yeah. Just checking in, hey, just want to check in and see how you're doing. Would you like to catch up for coffee later this week? Um, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I think even if you don't hear from this person for several weeks after you do your initial lay, reach out, don't take it personally. It probably, I mean, I can tell you for sure it was, it meant something to them and it was very positive, but they've yeah. got a lot of things going on and you have no idea the things that they're trying to deal with. And so it's not a personal front to you that they never reached back out. And if you do your second reach out, it you might hit them at a time when they're like, oh yeah, and I I remember now. Thank you so much. It really meant a lot when you um, got in touch with me initially. You know exactly. Yeah, and I mean here, you know, I want to give you some examples or the audience some examples. Here's some very specific words you can use that are going to feel empowering and helpful. Things like, what can I do to help? What do you need from me? You're strong. I believe in you. Do you want to meet up? Would you like to talk about it? I understand how you must be feeling. That has to be hard. I'm so sorry. I know how much time and effort you put in here. Or even the very simple, how are you feeling? Yeah. Giving them the space to feel how, how they feel. Yeah, I think those are great. Um, and then how do you, I mean, we've kind of already touched, I think, on some of these other topics, but how do you support them without causing them more stress yeah. and I think we already mentioned like don't you know bring up things that remind them that oh she doesn't <laughs> think I've done anything or yeah. I have done these things yeah. um, is there anything that you shouldn't say yeah 
So we've already said one, right? Don't ask them what they're going to do next too quickly because they're probably not ready to answer it. And it's right. a stressful question. So just avoid it till they're ready. Um, remember, it's not about you. Again, we talked about that earlier. So an example of something you might not say is things like, oh, it's so hard on the team now that you've left. Hmm. That yeah. makes me feel wonderful. Gee, thanks. Yeah, I know. Um, and that, that happened to me where they're like, oh, it's so hard without you. Then I'm thinking... Well, why didn't you tell them that you needed me what before they laid me off? You know, it's yeah. it's stuff like that. You it does get it feels very personal when they don't that's not the intent. Exactly. Exactly. So those are the main things. I think it's just, you know, really give them the space to feel how they feel and 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 try to avoid in every way possible making it about yourself. All right. Well, we're going to move on to question and answer. Is there any other sort of last thoughts, Tina, that you would like to convey before we move on to question and answer that we didn't cover or anything that I might have missed, skipped over by accident? Um, for anyone who's personally dealing with this topic in the audience, I want to tell you I'm here for you. And if there's something we didn't cover in this conversation today and you think I can help, send me a question, reach out on LinkedIn, and I would be honored to support you in any way you can. It's not easy going through this from any, whatever side of the fence we're on, layoffs are challenging. It hurts us to our core, right? And so I do want to help. If I can help, please let me know. Yeah, that's wonderful. You you can find her on LinkedIn. I think it's Tina Mary, right, is your LinkedIn yes, ID? That's correct. All right. Thank you. Alrighty, well, let's go back to some questions. All right. Oh, wow, we've got quite a few here. I'm going to read these. Do I? Let me see here. Okay, got a question from Discord. After a company shut down, after a company shut down, I was laid off. They assured me of providing excellent references. Oh, but they ghosted me. As a result, my job search has been a nightmare since my CV reflects. My year of employment with no concrete uh, accomplishments to showcase. Do you have any suggestions, Tina, on how to deal with something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you might not be able to have the principals of the company available to you or your manager, but can you find a peer that you still connected with? You can speak to your work there. If there's even one single person that worked in that organization that could provide a reference, that would help enormously. Also reflect on whether you had any external partnerships um, and whether any of those external partners can speak to the work that you did. I don't know, again, if that would be applicable. Um, that's a really tough one, though, right? Um, it also might depend on the role that you held and whether or not you have any kind of a portfolio or something you can, in fact, demonstrate the work that you achieved despite the studio being slowed down or shut down. Um, or the organization no longer existing. But I got to tell you, I mean, the, the person asking this question, I'm sorry, because that's a really, really, really tough one. Yeah. Um, and especially if it's, you know, the forms, the majority of your interest in, in industry experience, you know, it is going to be a little bit tricky and you're going to have to get creative about how to get those references. Yeah. All right. Here's a question from the Genesee. Uh, this is referring back to earlier in our conversation where they've been, uh, have been laid off in both perspectives, knowing that it was happening, and then also the surprise one. Have you had different or more extreme reactions based on uh, those facts? Like, is one likely to elicit a more extreme reaction? <laughs> um, I think for myself, if I think of the three times that I've been laid off, I was pretty much expecting it the first time. Um, and it was stressful because I was the breadwinner and all that, but it, it felt okay. I mean, it, it, I didn't take it personally. Um, second time, I got to admit, I took it a little more personally. I've been with the company 15 years. It was hard to take. It was like, it felt a lot like, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. But I also kind of knew it was coming. Um, the third time, I didn't know it was coming. And um, it was the most stressful. I had the worst reaction. I probably didn't handle myself as well as I could have in terms of composure. I might have burned a bridge or two as a result. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I think Heather? it's. How about I, you? When, I, when it happened to me, I actually had relocated 
to that's the worst part right is you relocate you uproot your life you go move to a city didn't know anybody and i was like this is great and then within months of being there rumors started to circulate there were going to be layoffs and it was super super stressful but on the other hand I was like, well, if this is going to happen, I probably ought to start looking for something. So I kind of started putting feelers out, hoping that they were just rumors, right? Um, But I was pretty angry, actually, the day that it actually happened, because I had relocated. I hadn't been there that long. Rumors had been circulating that hadn't been addressed. And yeah, if I had if it had been a complete surprise, it probably actually might have been a little bit easier. I still would have been angry, but I wouldn't have had all that mental stress leading up to that, yeah. you know, to begin with. Yeah. I just don't think there's a good way to do it. All right. Um, here's the next one uh, from Discord. Are online courses that can be added to your LinkedIn profile worth pursuing? And do hiring managers view them as a valuable measure of your personal and professional development? I, I think any, you know, I, I don't think there's, there's there's not a lack of value in adding them. I think it would probably depend on the course and um, the individual who's looking at that course as to how much weight and value they would apply to those courses. Um, they're probably not quite as weighty as, you know, a degree or um, um, some schooling from some external institutions where you're going to a brick and mortar or a virtual schooling and getting some kind of a credential. Um, but but I, I've taken some. I don't add them all to my profile, but I take them anyway for personal development. Um, and I think that absolutely hiring managers and talent acquisition would not discount them as this is an individual who's continuing to focus on developing their skills. Um, would they use it as a way to prove you have a certain skill set? Probably not. Probably yeah. not. It would be more probably a, an indicator of a learning mindset more than anything. Yeah. And I think the other interesting thing about LinkedIn is just like with any other sort of social media platform, it uses analytics and whatnot. And I think I have heard that if the more complete your profile is, the better it looks in their system and they're more likely to serve it up when people are doing searches. So if they have a section for you to put online courses or volunteer things or other extracurriculars you've done that are related to your career, that that really makes your profile quite robust. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely encourage you um, as well to kind of learn how to beef up your LinkedIn profile to make it really kind of pop, um, you know, from the other folks. And I mean, there's some really low hanging fruits, like your banner image, you can do a banner image. Think about what your headline is. I think they do change the algorithm here and there on what they search for, but they look at that headline. So, you know, you put your keywords in that headline in some manner that that helps. The other thing is, is that you can put um, web links in your job description. So for example, on my profile, I like to include um, links to game trailers for some of the games that I've worked on because it just looks really nice and if people are like oh I've not heard of this game or oh yeah I remember this game it's just a really nice way to do that or if you do blog posts you can either do a LinkedIn post that kind of can help boost your profile and I think that's kind of good for building up your network um, getting some visibility because LinkedIn really is a great ecosystem I think for making connections and looking for new employment. Yeah. And actually, I wanted to point out, too, to that um, there are actually LinkedIn courses that help you take advantage of LinkedIn. So, for example, to teach you how to set your featured content and teach you how to write an effective headline. And so there's some really great um, content available in ways, as you said, to leverage what LinkedIn has to offer. And you've raised some excellent points. I also I I, go ahead. Yeah, I've got, well, you, you want to finish that thought? or no, we'll okay. Go, okay. Here's, uh, okay, so this is from Discord. With the pressure of finding a new job after my layoff weighing heavily on me, I have been indiscriminately applying to numerous job openings, which I can totally understand. Should I reconsider my approach and focus on specific companies instead of bombarding recruiters with my resume? Yeah. 
Um, don't ever send a, uh, the same recruiter your resume more than once, but if you're working with a large organization, you might send multiple resumes to different hiring managers or parts of the org because they're not necessarily talking to each other. And electronic arts is a great case in point. Somebody hiring from Glue Mobile may not be aware of what EA Sports is hiring for or somebody in Sweden is hiring for. So um, you're probably not, not to a company like that again assuming you're being consistent so i think when you say indiscriminately applying my question would be are you applying to which you're qualified and that you want so um, the risk of, of applying to jobs that you don't want um, or that you're not qualified is that you're you know it's not going to make you look very good with those companies if you ultimately want to work with them down the road and there is a good role for you um, and or you might waste your time doing pre-screening and calls with companies that really you don't want to be working with anyway and you just no interest in doing so. So probably taking the time to do a little bit of research about who you're applying to so that if they do reach out, you're prepared. Um, being thoughtful about your cover letter. Well, mm -hmm. it, again, indiscriminately applying implies to me you haven't put a lot of due diligence in creating a, a meaningful cover letter that's specific to that opportunity. And if that's the implication, that's what's hurting you. Yeah. And I think when I have, as somebody who has, you know, screened resumes to interview candidates and whatnot, I think the candidates that have kind of, you know, you always hear this advice and it's a lot of extra work, but it does pay off in the end is to tailor your resume to the job description. So, you know, there's lots of different, like as a producer, there's many different types of producers, right? And, you know, you could sort of have your general, here's my general producer resume. But if you're applying for something where they're calling it a technical producer or creative producer, it is a nice touch to kind of um, customize the resume for that to bring out some of the more technical things that you've done or creative things that you've done that kind of align, honestly, with what they have in the job description and then provide sort of an example or a metric to add value to that. Because really the resume is about, is this person going to call me for the next phase in the process? Yeah. So the resume doesn't have to be a, like this whole big thick book, you know, pages and pages. It just has to have enough information for them to be like, yes, this person is worth talking to because they have the background and experience that I can see would work in this role. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, I think that is it. Um, that is all the questions we have now. Thank you so much, Tina, for your time today. You. I really appreciate it. And um, everyone, please tune in tomorrow for day two of the IGDB sessions sponsored by Tripwire Presents. And also, uh, we're partnered with Beat to Match. Thanks, everybody. Thank I, you. Bye-bye. Join us. Bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.